Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So the new IM1776 issue is out and it's about conspiracies. And I thought that was a really interesting topic because of course we are in a situation where a lot of people are worried about conspiracy theories, the dangers of misinformation, conspiracy theories are everywhere. We have to be concerned. The government needs to control speech so that we can make sure that no one is interested in these very, very dangerous conspiracy theories. And so I have joining me today, I am 1776's literary editor. He is Daniel Miller, and he's going to be talking to me a little bit about the new issue, about the idea of conspiracies and how we should be thinking about the world around us. Daniel, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Oren. Absolutely. So you guys have your new uh, your, your new issue out. It look, it's very nice. Uh, the, the first essay in there is from you and you kind of set the groundwork. There's a lot of different conspiracy theories that are kind of described in the issue, but you kind of set the framework of kind of what a conspiracy is and how to think about it and why people are thinking about these more. But I guess let's go ahead and start at the beginning for people you know, there's a lot of people who understand that coordination is kind of part of society and explaining how coordination happens is kind of important to understand power, the world around us, the kind of political and social system we end up in. But then we have this thing called a conspiracy theory. And that's where I guess if the coordination happens in a place that's unapproved, we don't talk about it. What, what designates something as a conspiracy theory? Well, I think just to pick up on uh, your intro, We've seen now in the last few years, especially the use of the term conspiracy theory deployed increasingly polemically in order to essentially discredit anything that isn't an official narrative, or you could even say isn't an official narrative yet. Uh, we saw that, for example, with the with the so-called lab leak hypothesis, which was a conspiracy theory in 2020, but now appears to be coming closer to the mainstream consensus. We've also seen at the same time actually increasing deployment of conspiracy theories as mainstream narratives. And so, you know, I think that the Russiagate hoax that was launched against uh, President Trump, what Lee Smith called the, the plot against the president, is a very good example. That was a conspiracy theory. That was the official story for a number of years until basically the pandemic the so-called pandemic, wiped it off the headlines. And then finally, what we're seeing actually is increasingly transparent activity of what could only be described as at least conspiratorial-like entities. Um, the actual coordination behind staging the Russiagate hoax is one example. The kinds of collusions that were happening between, for example, regulatory agencies, between drug companies and between politicians between 2020 and 2023 with, with, the, with the COVID story is another example. So no matter which way you look at it, it's a conspiracies almost all the way down. And therefore, I think what we need to try and do is to think about them a little bit more critically, because essentially, whenever you're dealing with a conspiracy or with the problem of a conspiracy theory conceived as a kind of hypothesis, you obviously do run the risk of a real abandonment fantasy, whereby you begin to imagine all kinds of entities that are operating that may or may not have any kind of basis in sociological or political reality. And so 
in order to also avoid that and also to avoid the definite possibility, for example, of even false conspiracies being planted for you by the conspiracies that are actually you don't even see, we have to try and think about what conspiracies even are and to think about them as actually more or less normal uh, parts of uh, socio-political reality, not exceptions. And so I think this is what we are trying to do uh, with, with our latest issue. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Obviously, we have a lot of people who are skeptical of the ruling powers of the elite, the regime, however kind of you want to label it. And because there's so much information out there, because there's just this fire hose of kind of information coming at people constantly, it's hard to know what to treat You know, seriously. Like you said, we have the idea that there are official narratives that are conspiracy theories like the Russiagate hoax. We have people who are kind of gaslighting people who recognize conspiracies in real time, like we see uh, happening with many aspects of the pandemic. And then there are the possibility that so many of these narratives have been placed in front of us because they help to kind of uh, confuse people, to muddy the waters. Uh, and I think that's a real issue of information coordination for the right or those that oppose the regime, kind of however you, you want to phrase that that group of people, because they don't control these, uh, in, you know, these informational institutions. They don't control the apparatus that kind of manufactures our consensus. And therefore, they don't know kind of what to trust when different conspiracies get floated, revealed, denied. There's no consistent basis of information for them to appeal to. Well, I think that you saw last, um, well, actually a couple of days ago, Yuval Harari went on Lex Friedman's podcast, and he was taking an extremely strong anti-conspiratorial line. He was saying that basically conspiracy theories don't exist. Um, he was saying that in particular with respect to this kind of straw man conception of a conspiracy theory, which he himself presented for this purpose, which is the notion of an all-powerful omnipotent conspiracy, which controls the whole world, so on and so forth. Now, actually, obviously, that isn't plausible. Uh, we need to understand also that because these are normal sociopolitical formations composed out of human actors, they obey the same kinds of laws that all other forms of social interaction obey. And so therefore, it's not a question of omnipotence. It's only a question of coordination. And how it's possible to stage coordination and where the natural limits to those kinds of enterprises are. Gore Vidal actually um, sort of lost kind of figure in American politics to some extent. He was sometimes accused of being a conspiracy theorist. He said he was a conspiracy analyst. You could also say business plan analyst. The reality of how even very ordinary kinds of operations proceed is conspiratorial. You and I, in a certain way, have engage in a conspiracy to appear on this podcast together. Okay, this is relatively straightforward, but why not much more ambitious and extensive program if you're in the kind of position where you're able to coordinate on that level? And I think this is what we have seen and are seeing. And the reason why we're seeing it is because this is the way that global politics is structured. We have these very flexible networks composed out of more or less autonomous agents who are able to make deals with each other on a more or less ad hoc basis. And this is a milieu which breeds conspiracies, and this is what we're seeing unfold.
So maybe it's important for us to kind of understand conspiracy theory as a magical word, something that kind of got hollowed out of meaning and replaced with kind of a particular political charge. Because what you're saying is that conspiracies are just kind of a natural part of human social organization. People will conspire, they will collude, they will organize behind the scenes to make things happen, especially when things like power are available. And so that 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 shouldn't be that understanding that that is true about society shouldn't be charged with kind of this negative crackpot energy because when people hear conspiracy theory they see you know crazy guy with a tinfoil hat they see you know a guy living alone in a shack planning to bomb something like that when they think of conspiracy that is what is in, but but that's almost an entirely emotional response in reality conspiracies are just part of life and human social organization. And so when we talk about them, we need to understand them as such and not some kind of emotionally charged phrase that that uh, kind of uh, denotes that somebody is of the wrong class or, or, or mentally incapable or has lost their mind, that kind of thing. Well, I think that you could say that the very fact that this actually really quite normal mode of human speculative inquiry has been stigmatized is itself revealing of something. Right. Uh, famously, the term conspiracy theory itself in its pejorative connotation was in fact deployed by the CIA uh, following the Warren Commission report. And we discussed this, I think, in our issue. People were not convinced by the conclusions of the report that, that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. And so therefore there was a concerted information management operation precisely to say that anybody who was questioning that was a conspiracy theorist. Now you're seeing the term employed even against people or ideas that actually are not even conspiratorial in their structure. So the famous example, I think, is uh, is um, Renaud Camus, his uh, so-called great replacement um, conspiracy theory is how it tends to be described. Camus himself actually uses the term in a much more speculative and abstract way. He talks about, for example, the replacement of natural building materials by, by PFC, I'm sorry, by PVC um, and ferro-concrete and these kinds of like replacement of even more metaphysical um, elements. But for reasons to do with his status, his epistemological or his political epistemological status, they simply say he's a conspiracy theorist and, and leave it at that. So. What you can say there is that essentially any kind of epistemological structure which is not obeying somehow the way in which the regime, however you want to describe it, wants to present its own narrative of itself becomes a kind of conspiracy theory. And I think this is also a kind of form of projection actually because of the nature of what the regime, such as it is, actually is, which is now more like a conspiracy than like a formalized political structure. Yeah, I think that's really important, too. So do you think that this is a big part of it? Like we we are in a situation where uh, we we kind of have the way the government is supposed to work. Uh, in theory, there's a, there's a constitution. Everyone gets taught the way that it's supposed to function. We elect these people. They pass laws. All of those things. There's supposed to be a formal plan for the government. But it's very clear that the vast majority of that has kind of been left by the wayside by people who are attempting to circumvent it. We, we, we've gone from, if we ever had a very clear chain of power 
in the United States to a very obscure chain of power. Everything is done by, you know, nameless corporations, by bureaucracies, by NGOs that no one really understands who runs and how they're motivated and what their actual end goals are. There, there's very little uh, accountability in any of our institutions. Everything is kind of this, uh, you know, unassailable monolithic bureaucracy that you, you, you can't pinpoint any actual people who are kind of in charge of or, or culpable, you know, for, for any kind of mistakes or failures. And so this means that uh, that you know, conspiracies have to take place, that these things and that can't that means people can't help but notice them because almost everything that is actually driving our society, almost everything that is actually exercising power in front of us is itself conspiratorially organized. It's it's not formal. It's not out there for everyone to see. Yeah, I think that's completely correct. I think that this is a phenomenon of informal power. Uh, it's a phenomenon, actually, which becomes particularly prominent with the birth of liberal modernity. There's a famous quote by Adam Smith where he says, uh, it only takes two or more people who are engaged in the same trade to meet together before the conversation turns to a conspiracy against the general public. Mm -hmm. So what you can say there is that all of a sudden, actually, you've had this new object created at a certain point in time, the general public. Um, you have trades, you have these kinds of forms of organization which are happening simply through social circles. And if you fast forward then 200 something years to the kind of situation we're in which power is highly centralized but informalized within this very specific and particular social milieu composed out of politicians, composed out of lobbyists, composed out of people who work for the media, all of these people are meeting in very specific social environments and they're able to coordinate on that basis and they naturally will do so. Um, there's actually nothing strange about it. Uh, it would be strange if they weren't doing that. So this is what you get when you don't have a formal structure that is able to coalesce um, political power into something more objective. You get a situation where everybody is actually also maneuvering by themselves against each other within this kind of context, whereby even the conspiracy itself, let's say, doesn't necessarily know who's in and who's out, you know, what cards, who's holding what, so on and so forth. And this is, I think, also why we're seeing these kinds of phenomenon of, uh, you know, blackmail of these kinds of extreme sort of forms of criminality, which are sort of periodically surfacing. It's because it's because. The uh, the nature of the of the of the internal organization of these of these forms of power themselves are, are leaky in the same way that they're also drawing people into this kind of uh, concentration of enterprise. I think we're also looking at kind of a, a denial of human nature, right? One of the one of the aspects, like you said, of liberal modernity is the idea that we're going to generate kind of these neutral institutions that we're going to kind of level everything that we're going to remove kind of, uh, you know, class interest or the interests of different subgroups. And we're going to kind of homogenize everything into one neutral, objective kind of scientific creation. And so because we're trained that none of these organizations would actually ever care about specific groups, specific outcomes, specific uh, kind of lobbying organizations or, or, or other groups kind of behind the scenes, 
then we have to believe that they're always acting in our own interests. They're always acting in the interests of wider society. We're never allowed to recognize that they might be acting on the on their own behalf or the behalf of others behind the scenes. And so because we're kind of denying the fact that humans will always work for the interests of a particular group and not for kind of the wider public as a whole, everyone's kind of gaslit in the scenario where like, well, you, you can't notice that these doctors are doing something because it benefits them. You can't notice that these politicians are doing something because it benefits them. Everyone is always only working for the public good. Everyone is only ever, uh, you know, uh, responding to the science, the objective reality determined by experts, the idea that they would, you know, work in their own interests or the interests of, of others, other groups that could not possibly be real. That must be a crazy conspiracy theory. Well, you know, I think it's actually very interesting to consider why under certain circumstances people actually would work for the common good or why not. You know, why actually is it the case that even in relatively recent memory, institutions were functioning relatively um, healthily? Um, obviously, that's not the case anymore. I think that what you're seeing now in terms of the kinds of rhetoric which is being deployed is being deployed by people who are using these kinds of uh, these kinds of claims because they know that they work, they still have a kind of legacy um, authority. That has obviously drained away a lot in the last few years as people are beginning to notice actually the people who are uh, who are presenting themselves as if selfless public servants are anything but. How could we get them back to being um, to being public servants again? Is is that even possible? Is this a phenomenon actually of globalization to some extent, whereby simply put, you know, the rewards of the global are just so enormous compared to the possible rewards of the national level that everybody who's on the one wants to get to the other, just like they did when, you know, the nation state itself was being formed? Or is this some sort of a transitional I don't know corruption that could be corrected through through some form of uh, reform action. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that that's obviously a much larger question. Maybe we'll we'll delve a little bit uh, deeper into that here in a moment. Can can this whole thing get turned around? But uh, I guess first let's look at why. Uh, I guess. Well, well, let's let's start with why they're pushing that credibility. So like you said, so many of these kind of actors were relying on good faith built up on in institutions that previously did serve the public, that did consistently produce uh, goods for the larger community. And now they're more or less ignoring that fact. In fact, not only are they, are they ignoring that, they are kind of, like you said, leaning on that uh, stockpile, that surplus of credibility in a way that they never did before, do they not understand that they will run out? Are they just inept? Do they not care? Why are they so willing to kind of burn that, uh, that stockpile of credibility on what is increasingly clear, a clearly a coordination on their behalf to benefit a certain group of people? Well, I think that basically they, they don't really care. Although I think that they, may believe that they do on some level. There's a complex psychological element which enters the picture here because it's to do with trying to understand how these people actually themselves narrate to themselves what they're doing and why. And I think it's actually quite difficult to, in a way, 
somehow untouched by one's own lies, as it were. It's, you know, you start to actually believe that the lies that you tell. And I think that you probably do believe if you're, I don't know, Anthony Fauci, for example, that somehow on some level, like all of this, everything that you're doing is for the is for the best. Like it is better that you do it like this. There's some constraints that mean that, you know, you have to do it like that. And actually, maybe it is even like that to some extent, because this is also the sort of situation you get into with conspiracies. Ultimately, it is a kind of gangland paranoid atmosphere. And it's a kind of kill or be killed atmosphere as well, so that you can't really actually, you know, turn around and say, wait a minute, guys, like, haven't we gone a little bit far on 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 this policy? Because if you do that, immediately what happens is you'll be eliminated by someone who's more ruthless than you. And so I think that actually we've also seen this kind of phenomenon play out many times in situations of informal unsecured power. It's worth remembering, you know, that the Bolshevik party was originally itself a conspiracy. It kind of remained a conspiracy. Um, you know, it ended up in a situation where basically the biggest gangster in the party was the leader. And then he was periodically pitting all of the others against each other in order to maintain his position. And this was somehow actually what he had to do because there wasn't a possibility for him to to do anything else. So I think there's something like that going on, actually, that, you know, ultimately their room for maneuver is drastically constrained by the reality of the maneuvers that they had to undertake to get where they were in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. There's you're you're trapped in kind of that cycle no, no matter where you turn. So obviously, again, this has always existed. This has always been a part of human coordination. But now we have the Internet. And the internet, I think, radically changes the way that people coordinate, the way that they interact with uh, kind of power, the way that they're able to observe power and each other. Uh, and obviously, this changes the way that conspiracies thread; they can be uh, uh, or spread, like the way they can be coordinated. All of those things. How how has the internet impacted the way that people uh, look at the conspiracy theories and the way that elites have to address them? Well, I think that it has been an extremely important factor in essentially rearranging the lines of communication between uh, different parts of the world, essentially. You saw that, you know, the emails, the sort of email chains that came into existence shortly following the outbreak of uh, the, the, the Chinese flu in Wuhan. You know, you have people all over the world that coordinating together in order to come up with a common narrative and then that's the narrative that they take to their national um, groups basically. So this is a new phenomenon. It used to be the case that basically the political power of, of well political power per se was concentrated in national capitals and this is how it was instrumentalized and deployed. Now we have these global networks composed out of all these people linked all over the world, and they're actually able to move national governments according to their almost superior vertical vantage point. So there's something very interesting about that. I think, though, on a more sort of everyday level, if you're considering just kind of everyday conspiracies, I mean, there's a way in which this topic comes close to another issue, which is very interesting also to me, which is to do with cult formations and how groups are able to close themselves off around certain kinds of circuits of 
information which are then exchanged between them and how the mindset of individuals in the group become increasingly somehow drawn into this kind of circuit. So the internet is also doing that and it's forming these kinds of mini conspiracies organized around sort of mini conspiracy theories. I mean, the Brown scare that we've had in the last few years, which is also to some extent a phenomenon that came out of the campaign against Trump, but somehow extended beyond that. This was a conspiracy theory that was adopted by many different kinds of people who wanted somehow something that they could do with each other in order to make them feel like they had something to do in the world or because it was a handy way for them to do somehow what they wanted to do anyway. So the internet is also breeding these kinds of mini conspiracies. And we also saw that with uh, with the pandemic, which was, I think, really the kind of most um, spectacular demonstration of, of the very destructive social and psychological power of the internet that we've seen so far because you know we have still people who are wearing who are wearing masks in supermarkets based on this kind of vision of invisible contaminants floating around you know we having all these kinds of new conspiracy theories sort of breeding basically QAnon which is the one that obviously the mainstream media likes to focus on and one could think about why that is in itself but i mean it was also interesting in its own right as a kind of media phenomenon because that was also a conspiracy theory generated somehow by the internet and connecting people on the internet as a kind of massive multiplayer online game yeah that, that one's interesting because it's one of those things where i know there were people who really believed in it i know that did happen but I'm relatively plugged in to kind of normal Trump supporters. I have a lot of very kind of average run of the mill, you know, uh, conservative Republicans in my life. And I never once heard this from a single person, which is not to say that it doesn't exist, but it, it felt like, again, one of the conspiracies is the need to, to outsize the influence of particular uh, conspiracies just to use them as, as this punching bag right like again i know somewhere people really did believe this stuff I'm, I'm sure that it that it was prominent among some group of people somewhere but it just never interacted with almost you know anybody who actually held this belief and yet it's like if you would listen to anyone in the media it's basically 90 percent of trump supporters are completely bought into this theory uh, and, and that you know, if you don't eradicate it, if you don't, if you don't snuff it out of its root, it's going to conquer the United States. Well, I mean, as I understand it, there were really two different elements to the QAnon conspiracy theory. One is that the U.S. government is, to some extent, controlled by these networks of, you know, criminal pedophiles. Basically, the other is that there is, nonetheless, within the government, a secret cell somehow led by Trump, which is going to eliminate all these people and everything is under control, trust the plan. Oh so obviously that part of the theory was not grounded in reality. The other part of the theory obviously did have elements that it was drawing right. on, which to be honest, I mean, what can you say about them? And we have had, you know, the story of Jeffrey Epstein in the last few years remains very confusing 
um, on so many levels. Um, I think that we can have just, you know, using logic, like a fairly good idea of, of sort of what was going on there. But I mean, this is also the sort of strangeness of our times in a way, because, you know, that happened. We saw it happened. You know, we saw, we saw, you know, he was suicided in his cell. You know, nothing happened. Uh, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted of sex trafficking, apparently to nobody, because right. you know none of her, none of her clients have been convicted or charged or even named. Um, the FBI apparently has, you know, all of his files somewhere. We we know this, but nothing nothing happens about it, and so. You know, this is actually the most interesting, I would say, innovation with respect to conspiracy theorizing in recent years is, you know, it used to be the case that, you know, I mean, this is in fact, indeed what Yuval Harari claims, you know, you can't keep a secret, therefore conspiracies are impossible. But we have now learned that actually they don't even need to keep a secret. Like it can be completely out in the open. It doesn't even matter. You know, we know anyway. So what? Because actually... There is no somehow um, QAnon to to hold any of these people to account. That that is the fantasy. Yeah, the the more terrifying part is that there is no there there is no uh, white knight. There is no pe people who will hold these people accountable. There is there is no accountability mechanism, and they they're fine kind of waving these things in front of us because they can do whatever they want. That's why you get the Time Magazine article, right? It's a victory lap. Uh, it's it's not enough that they created this scenario. Uh, they want they want the curtain call. They want to take the bow. They they want to parade it in front of people, and then if anyone notices, uh, you know, the, the kind of the the Michael Anton's uh, celebration paradox, right? You're, you're allowed to notice as long as you're cheering it on, but noticing it while being negative about it that makes you crazy. That makes you uh, that makes you dangerous misinformation broker. Well, th this is also a very interesting point because uh, the let's say. The more sort of paranoid reading on this is they they sort of enjoy the fact that you know and can't do anything about it. So, you know, Michael Hoffman describes this as it's the you know revelation of the method. Basically, the way he puts it is, you know, if uh, you know if I'm fucking your wife, basically, and you don't know about it, that's bad enough. But if I actually tell you. And then you continue to allow this to happen. This is like actually much worse. It's even more humiliating. And so this is the idea behind the revelation of the method is you you tell you tell the people what you're doing and then they don't do anything about it and they're even more humiliated as a consequence. I'm not sure, to be honest, whether that's true or not. I think in order to imagine that is the case, you have to think that basically the, I don't know, the leaders of the a conspiracy or whatever you want to call it are basically sadistic in a certain way and they sort of uh you know enjoy that very fact in themselves or they're you know very clear-sighted and they understand the psychology of humiliation and they're just applying that in this very cool way i think that in fact these people sort of do need try and convince themselves that they're somehow doing the right thing. I think this is a very important element in all of these, um, like even in the Time Magazine article where they talk about fortifying the election. I mean, you read this from the outside and you're just like, what, what, what is wrong with these people? Like, why are they doing this? But I think they do 
genuine they did genuinely believe that like somehow this was this was necessary or at least they believed that it was necessary for them to tell themselves this you know yeah just so you know you did turn your your camera on which is fine but you're it's just uh lagging the way that it was before yeah it's not like it's a big face reveal you've got your uh your picture on there i just wanted to let give you a heads up because it was it went back to lagging like it did previously all right okay well i wasn't i wasn't paying attention to anything so oh no problem um so one other thing that you kind of talked about in in the piece, which I thought was interesting because it's something that I talk uh, talk about a lot, is kind of the interest of power in kind of centralizing through kind of by by removing kind of any intermediate social spheres, kind of any other uh, any other social forces that would have loyalty, have authority, be able to push back against these people. Mm. What what role do conspiracies play? Because I think many of us can look at kind of many of the uh, the ever efforts by the government and these different institutions and their attempts to kind of destroy what's kind of left of the family and churches and and and, and uh, kind of organic communities and can see in those a conspiracy conspiratorial element. But I think that is as much power reaching for more power as it is. Uh, you know, both overt and uh, and kind of unconscious uh, drive to kind of coordinate and, and remove those competing spheres. Well, I think that this is um, really something that's inherent in the in the nature of power. If we understand power in its you know in its purest possible form, a certain desire for power, will to power, kind of naked self interest, and you consider all of the obstacles that are in the way of the pursuit of your naked self-interest. And, you know, the family is one of them. You know, intermediate institutions are also, you know, in a certain sense, in the way. You know, to the extent that you're simply committed to power, you know, you have to get all these obstacles out of your way. And so if you consider a conspiracy as basically composed of people who are pursuing power, then you ultimately end up with the kind of revolutionary party, which is, I would say, probably maybe not but maybe like the most radical form of power because they're going to actually you know if necessary destroy the whole world in order to acquire power you can see why from their point of view both individual and collective everything has to be liquidated because otherwise they can't be free you know they can't be free to to do what it is that they want to do which is whatever it is that they want to do so you have seen in the 20th century, in the Soviet Union, I think in particular, um, also in Nazi Germany, of course, with the sort of Gleichschaltung policy, but the Soviet Union, obviously, it lasted a bit longer, so they had a bit longer to get going. You know, they were very, very determined to liquidate all of these different intermediate institutions and to create a situation where it was simply atomized individuals facing the collective power of the party i.e. the conspiracy. So there was nothing except for the conspiracy and you, and there was nothing you could even do about it. So, you know, your conceptualization of, you know, the total state obviously is extremely close to this kind of formulation as well, because in a certain way, like, you know, the conspiracy is itself the total state. You know, the total state is a conspiracy. And you can also see in this respect that actually the total state has its own internal divisions to some extent. It's like um, St. Augustine says in the concept of 
libido dominandi, they're actually dominated by their desire to dominate. So the way in which power works in this way, purely vertical, imposition of force, extremely unstable, it isn't really able to build anything because anything that it builds, it could be used against it, basically. So it's reduced to this situation where it's perpetually kind of like destroying everything. Um, and, and it continues ultimately until it destroys itself. And so I think that actually we can be optimistic in this regard because it does have, it does have a life cycle. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree about that. All right, so we have some questions stacking up from the audience here. Is there anything about uh, conspiracies that we didn't get to that you want any points you wanted to make before we kind of transition over to our questions? Um, no, I'm 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 happy to happy to take questions. All right, excellent. Oh, and is there uh, is there anything that people should be looking up? Any work you've got coming out? Uh, the the issue? Anything else that uh, they should be checking out from you or I am seen I am seventeen seventy six. Well, I mean, obviously you should check out you should check out our issue. Um, I am seventeen seventy six is now in a way in itself a kind of conspiracy because we we've transitioned from a from a for profit model to a uh, to a foundation. So you actually have to join us in in order to receive a copy of the issue. You can do that from our website, and we have lots of things coming up, uh, lots of events coming up. Uh, more and more advanced and spectacular uh, megalomaniacal designs that we uh, we plan on um, we plan on launching on the world. Yeah, excellent. All right, guys. So make sure that you're checking out the issue. Uh, there's Daniel's article and many other great ones from people who have been on the show, uh, like uh, Lafayette Lee. So make sure that you are checking that out. All right. So over to our questions here. Life of Brian for four ninety nine. Uh, ALX Jones Z style discourse has nothing to do with paranoia, which involves uh, personal persecution fantasies and private visions, not merely alarmism. What do you think about that? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if if that's a question. I mean, this is yeah. a statement. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Jones Z style. I, I didn't get that either. I was hoping you, okay, so at least I'm not alone there. I wasn't sure exactly what that was saying. Okay. Um, okay. Um, but I, I, I don't know. No problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll just say that. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Life Brian. Appreciate the, the chat there, but I'm not quite sure what that was implying. If you want to, if you want to drop in chat, you don't need to put another super chat in, but if you want to clarify a little bit there for me, hopefully we can. And give your money's worth a little bit. I mean, the only thing that I can potentially say about this, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, 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 go for it. Is is that um, paranoia does not necessarily involve personal persecution fantasies. Uh, Paranoia is uh, also possibly a collective phenomenon. It's a structure of thought, ultimately. It's a psychological structure, which can be the structure of an individual or of a society or of an institution possible for an entire country to become paranoid. Uh, we have seen examples. Um, we've seen examples very recently, actually, of a kind of global paranoia. So I don't know. Like, um, there's a famous line, uh, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Right. I don't know if that's relevant, but. Yeah. No, I think anyway. so. All right, so Creeper Weirdo here for $5. Hey, guys, did you hear about how the government may have found evidence of aliens? I think you should 
uh, talk about that and absolutely nothing else. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about this? Obviously, very recently, we've, we've had a number of different, uh, you know, kind of Navy pilots and people who otherwise, you know, generals and uh, ha- had made claims about the running into different, uh, you know, alien aircraft and this kind of thing. Now we have somebody giving testimony in Congress, talk about having found like the biological remains of aliens. Uh, do you think there's anything to this? Do you think this is a big distraction? Is, the, is this a, a conspiracy to create a conspiracy? Well, what's kind of up with this messaging? Well, I think there was a guy on um, Twitter, I can't remember who, but one of the excellent paranoid schizophrenics who populate Twitter. <laughs> um, Only the Pointing out that, um, so I mean, now we're supposed to believe that the very same people who have been lying to us for decades about this, this very issue, have now suddenly, for no reason, decided to tell us the truth about it. Why would right. they do that? Yeah, no, um, I'm of a very similar mindset. This is a very convenient time for the people who have been lying to the uh, to us about this nonstop to suddenly feel like this is very important information. I mean, I think that the very fact that they want us to talk about this is actually itself suspicious, to be honest. I mean, it's like there's something also important in that. It's like they don't actually have to convince you. Right. They have to make it either so it's impossible for you to think clearly about a subject or they just distract you by making you talk about random bullshit, basically. And I think, you know, this is an example of the latter, essentially. It's it, it doesn't even matter at all whether you're saying it's true or it's false it's just it's just meaningless garbage basically i mean i sort of in a way do believe in aliens i guess on some level but i don't think that has anything to do with anything happening in congress yeah it feels like it's more than it needs to be injected in the discourse and this is what creates again like that schizophrenic feeling where nobody knows what to trust because it doesn't even matter. They're not even really, like you said, trying to convince you or not. It's just, we're just going to throw things in here to move the cycle one more time. Uh, it exactly. doesn't really matter if it has any kind of uh, substantial weight. You're you're not even trying to force me into it at this point. No. Uh, Creeper Weirdo here again for $2. QAnon uh, equals CIA. That is all. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, and then Life of Brian here with maybe a little bit of clarification. Thank you again, sir. Sorry we had a tough time with the first one here. Fauci Gate and climate change emails show how crude these things can be. Someone gave the order to kill Epstein. People are giving orders. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Life of Brian, I, you know, so a lot of people, uh, rightly so, uh, look at something like Curtis Yarvin's uh, kind of idea of the cathedral and that you know, there's this decentralized coordination. And they say, well, no, this is ridiculous. There are people giving orders. And I think that the the times when he says, oh, there are no groups, there are no people, there is no one guy that, well, there is no one guy. I, I do believe that. But when he says there are no conspiracies, there is no cabal, it's like, well, no, there there obviously are. Like we have, like you said, the emails, we have, you know, uh, the Twitter files. We know that this stuff takes place. It's not that there's no coordination, but it's not that, but it's that there is no one overall unifying, there's no like document being handed down from some group that puts everybody on the same page. Everyone is moving in the same direction. There are coordinations and conspiracies that move in the general direction, but there's not one overall overarching kind of, uh, you know, uh, set of orders handed down. Uh, but, but what do you think uh, about that? The, the kind of uh, some level of coordination versus kind of an overall mastermind? Well, I think that if you consider, let's say the mafia, right, which is a real conspiracy it's a criminal conspiracy mm-hmm. um it does exist there are mafia families um all over the world in different contexts you know you have 
drug cartels in Mexico, so on and so forth. You do have the boss. He does have lieutenants. He does give them orders. They give orders. People give orders. But the basic nature of the organizational structure is that everybody is incentivized to be a part of it because you know they're all making money from the corner boy to the you know to the top top guy in um in Merida where all the where they all live actually so yeah i mean i don't know like i, I don't even understand to some extent like what yavin is arguing against here because i think that to some extent he's also arguing against this sort of straw man fantasy of this guy who sort of operates a switchboard in the center of the earth. Yeah, okay, that doesn't exist. But, you know, every organization does have a chain of command to some extent. And obviously it's possible to coordinate. And if it wasn't, then it's not really an organization. And they're all organizations. I guess I guess the so here here I think would be the delineation or you know would be the with a difference here is uh is do you do you believe that there is a behind the scenes formalization so we know that in in front formalization has been destroyed and that that's one of the reasons people feel the conspiracy because uh there you know there there is no real formalization of power we have something that's out there but it's a fantasy we know that's not actually how power operates and so people can feel the the uh kind of the uh the conspiracy behind the scenes but I think what Yarvin is arguing uh, against is that there is some kind of formalization behind the scenes, that there is a there is a hard chain of command on which, like, you could hold the entire system accountable, even if it's obfuscated by kind of our current, you know, noble lie about how the regime operates. I think that, you know, if you're if you're looking for it, then you can see who the most important person in a room is whenever you enter a room. And I think this is more or less transparent. I think that, you know, that also shifts to some extent. Mm. You know, people fall from power. I mean, people are also competing amongst themselves for influence. And there is something uncertain about how influence operates on the very highest level, because also it's to do with the influence that someone is presumed to have, you know, which translates into actual power. So I would agree with Yavin, I believe. I mean, I also could be wrong about this. Like maybe I merely haven't been introduced to this kind of, you know, formalized system. Um, I believe that there is no actual formalized system whereby, you know, like Hillary Clinton has is like Sigma Delta 507 right. or whatever. And like that means something. And I don't know. I mean, this seems obviously highly elaborate and improbable. But I think that it is also clear that, you know, if you're in a patronage network, you know, you have clients, they look to you, you reward them. If they stop rewarding you, you stop doing what they say. And if they continue to do so, then basically you 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 obey them, you know, and it's pretty simple. Sure. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap that up. I think we got all of your questions there. Uh, I want to go ahead and thank Daniel so much for coming by. Of course, make sure to check out uh, the uh, conspiracy issue and everything that's going on over at I am seventeen seventy six. And if it's your first time here, guys, I want to thank you for coming by the channel. Please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. I've had some people saying they're not getting the episodes, they're not seeing it on their timelines. Remember, YouTube hates uh, conservatives or right wingers, and so they censor everything. You got to hit the bell. You got to turn on notifications. You know, just because you have a, a, a 
just because you subscribe to the channel doesn't mean you actually get to see the content because god forbid you actually watch the show regularly uh but uh also of course if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts you can go and subscribe to the Orin McIntyre show on your favorite podcast network. When you do that, make sure that you go ahead and leave a rating or review. That really helps with the algorithm stuff. So thank you guys, everybody, for coming by. And as always, I will talk to you next time.